Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Tsunami Sushi in downtown Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with Christian Maida, editor and publisher of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. The more we learn about the human body, the less we seem to actually know. Medicine is always playing catch up with its own science, and more and more the industry is moving toward individualized care armed with metrics that help us stay on top of our wellness. What if we could catch a problem before it happens? If that's the goal, we're not talking about preventative medicine, we're talking about predictive medicine. And of course, technology plays a big role in that development. Mark Landry launched Healthy Heart Clinics and Cardio Care after he lost his parents. He wanted to create a company that could help patients manage their own care and make sure that it fit what they needed. Healthy Heart Clinics is a primary care practice. It offers cardiac care, wellness visits, health coaching, and remote health monitoring. But Cardio Care is an online management tool for patients with chronic illnesses. It links technology and remote care to help patients keep track of their wellness between visits. The program comes with software that helps patients track their biometrics and prescription records. Mark is originally from Scott and worked for 30 years in Dallas. He moved back to Lafayette in 2018, founding Healthy Heart in 2020. Mark Landry, welcome to Out to Lunch. Appreciate it. Thanks. Glad to be here. You know, sometimes diseases are written right into our genetic code. Congenital defects can hide out for decades before becoming serious ailments. The early signs might be there, but with more than 7,000 rare genetic disorders known to medicine, it's tough for even the best doctors to keep track of. Enter Think Genetic. My guest, Don Laney, is the founder and chief genetic officer for the company, which is based in Lafayette. The idea for the company came from a genetic illness identified in Don's own family. Her dad and aunt both suffered from non-fatal aneurysms, and Don went looking for a genetic link and found an opportunity. She and her father founded Think Genetic in 2014. The company offers two basic products. On the one hand, they help researchers locate people at risk for rare conditions for clinical trials, and they help physicians narrow down options to refer patients for more testing or diagnosis. The goal is to cut down the amount of time it takes to achieve a diagnosis. The company also connects patients with rare diseases with advocacy groups and with genetic counselors. And Dawn is a genetic counselor herself. She's the director of the Genetic Clinical Trial Center at Emory University. Uh, in Atlanta. Don Laney, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. So, Mark, I, I'd like to start with the cardio care side of what you do. You know, I've used some medical testing devices at, at home, and I'm thinking that the data can be spotty. You know, so is it tough to manage care when the patient is sort of responsible for almost reporting what's happening? Yeah, well, technology is uh, advanced quite, quite a bit now. Uh, things are done through cellular chip-based devices rather than blue chip or blue chip type devices. So we're getting some pretty accurate readings. Um, yeah. And the, the tools that we use, whether they're weight scales to blood pressure cuffs, pulse oxes, patches, uh, even the CGM devices that go on your arm for mm -hmm. diabetic patients, we collect all of the data, make sure that uh, the information is uh, consistent with the patient. We yeah. communicate with the patient. So we're at least finding out uh, what's the trend, what's really going on. So it kind of eliminates some of those outliers, you know, and some of the, the challenges that a device might have missed are sure. from technology. But so, for the most part, technology's pretty advanced now to be able to capture that. Sure. So, so the, the, 
kind of would talk a little more about the, the data side of it then. I mean, is, is a person just like constantly wearing devices and then checking with their physician? I mean, give me a sense of what it would look like if I signed up for the service. I imagine, of course, it depends on the patient and what they have going on. Sure, diagnosis is important first, and then uh, getting the right care plan that's designed for that patient, a diabetic patient versus mm -hmm. maybe a cardiovascular disease patient. Uh, but getting the right device that fits their modality or their challenge um, is part one. But then uh, making sure that the device kind of fits and is giving us the information that we're looking for. We're agnostic to the devices. Okay. Um, and that gives us the ability to look at the information that we're gathering. Mm -hmm. So a patient that signs up that's diagnosed with a cardiovascular disease, we'll give them a blood pressure cuff or maybe even a weight scale. Uh, most people tend to see the weight scale as that measurement. If I'm putting on a little extra weight, then something's going on inside the body. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd like to catch it even before that. And sometimes we say if you're putting on weight, it's almost too late. Catching it and knowing ahead of time could help save someone. Yeah. And so getting a trend or a measurement that allows for us to look at that data, you know, we're preventive care. Yeah. And so we're communicating with them. We're seeing the changes that are going on. We're able to help direct them back to their their provider or to a clinic. Yeah. Um, or actually, you know, maybe even change up their meds with their provider to help them get on the right course again. So, so Don, I mean, I, I think I'm picking on patients a little too much. I mean, doctors can make mistakes too. And, I, and I'm thinking about, so think genetic, you guys are able to sort of pull bits from anonymized medical records. Just kind of look for these tracks. And of course, that would seem to count on the doctors are identifying this stuff properly themselves. I mean, so how do you guys make sure that the, the data that you're getting, the information you're getting when you're combing you know, this stuff is giving you an accurate picture of what's actually happening? Sure, so Mark and I are almost you know, in a symbiotic relationship here yeah. when it comes to things because we're all using big data to try to find those patterns, those trends that are gonna help us. Yeah. So if we're looking at doctors, we don't need those doctors to be genetic experts. Yeah. We just need them to report what their patients are saying. Yeah. So we've got two types of data. You've got your structured data, which is the kind of things you'd get from Mark, you know, the devices that Mark is working with, from the type of measurements you get, like from your laboratory, mm -hmm. from your EKG, from all those little things that you have measured when you go in, like your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. um, and we're trying to take those objective data within all those unstructured data, which mm -hmm. is when you say, I feel bad, and this is how I feel bad. Mm -hmm. And your doctor says, patient feels bad. We're trying to put those together, and then we can get that de-identified data using AI, like natural language processing, which is kind of a good way to try to make patterns out of people's words. Mm -hmm. And then our genetic expertise, which helps us find sense in those patterns, that can then support the doctor. So now the doctor's not making the mistake. We're saying like, hey doctor, yeah. you didn't think about this because there's 7,000 genetic rare diseases. Because your patient has left ventricle hypertrophy, because your patient also doesn't sweat, We'd like you to think about these possible diagnoses because then we can do preventative health because then we can monitor them correctly. So, so you, it helps. Are you guys actually pulling together, if I'm understanding this correctly, you're pulling together profiles of individual patients and hoovering up that data to that point. So you have a pretty good picture of what these folks are going, then you might catch something in an individualized mm -hmm. basis. And say, like you just oh described yeah. a, you know, a theoretical individual patient. So this is not just there are 5,000 instances of 
you know, uh, some specific disease in the Louisiana area, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you guys are like that granular? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's kind of the secret sauce that we have is we make these algorithms that can identify patients who are at risk. Mm -hmm. And then for some areas, we can push information back to the physicians themselves and say, consider this. For other people, we just look at natural history trends because when we look at any disease, whether it's congenital heart disease or if we're looking at a specific genetic disease, there's a mild form, there's something in the middle, and there's a severe form. So you don't get people diagnosed as quickly when they're milder because it can look like any other disease like diabetes. It can look like hypertension. It can look like they were just gaining weight. So what we're trying to do is find those patterns that are hard to see when you're just focusing on one thing and doing the full picture using all the data we can get. Because the thing about having all this big data is it means nothing unless you take time to interpret it. Yeah. Mark, um, so how are people opting in to your cardio care service? I mean, it's one thing to kind of think about a health clinic and say, maybe it's by my house or maybe I like their approach to medicine. I mean, are, are folks you know, going to a doctor first and then signing up for cardio care? Are they going to Healthy Heart and signing up for Or are they coming to you from a different channel altogether? Yeah, so it is through a provider or it is through their doctor that they're getting prescribed for our services. Yeah. Um, so the doctor will recommend them to... Uh, be it take part in cardio care, our care management program. And then for that, we literally start working with them on an ongoing basis, mm -hmm. uh, knowing what their challenges are. We help them with a care plan. We use some precision medicine, and I'm actually very excited to kind of <laughs> chat here because it is a truly uh, symbiotic kind of opportunity or mm -hmm. conversation. And precision medicine is something I really believe in. Yeah. You know, the ability to uh, do a little bit of predicting on making sure the patients are, uh, you know, how fast they metabolize certain types of proteins or carbohydrates allows you to be on the right kind of food program or wellness program. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing the kind of drug that kind of metabolizes with that patient's uh, body allows for us to put the patient on the right medications and the right dose. Mm -hmm. Um, and with the industry, the challenge has been only 1% of the population being on the right drug at the right dose at the right time. Mm -hmm. So if we can at least address some of that, we're going to help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so once a provider determines uh, the state of the patient or the need or the diagnosis of that patient, and they're recommended for our program, mm -hmm. then we become their, their extra care between office visits at the home in their uh, comfort of their lifestyles and what's going on. Yeah, so, so look, obviously this feels very mission-oriented for both of you. You know, Don, you can immediately see the research applications of what you guys have developed. You work in research, right? You're, you're, you're working in Emory, but I mean, at some point you gotta make money. I mean, what's the revenue model for Think Genetics? <laughs> Great question. That was actually the first questions that investors ask us when we started out. The investors They're like, are usually concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. They, they seem to care, I don't know why. They're yeah. like, great heart, guys. What are we gonna do with it? <laughs> and so actually being here in Lafayette is yeah. actually what made the difference. We came to the Accelerate South uh, program, which is an accelerator for startups. So mm -hmm. it's based out of ULL. Yeah. And we were talking to one of the advisors there and he's like, what if we used our records here under an IRB protocol as something that could really give you information and do a pilot study? Could you find some conditions that are a little bit more common in this area? Because in Acadiana, you've got several populations of people who have an increased risk for um, autosomal recessive genetic conditions, and you mm -hmm. don't know you're at risk until you happen to read the mic first and have the right baby together. Mm -hmm. um, and so we said, that sounds really good. And he's like, okay, 
well, if we're going to do this, then we're going to need one client. And we're like, well, the client is obviously the pharmaceutical companies because they're making targeted drugs that you need to start early in order to have the most effective outcomes. Mm -hmm. So our clients are pharmaceutical companies. And what they're doing is different campaigns with us. So one campaign is getting that big de-identified information, running it through our detailed algorithms, finding patients that are at risk, and then giving information about incidents giving information about general geographic areas so they can focus their marketing people mm -hmm. and also trying to, right? <laughs> Pharmaceuticals. They always have marketing people. <laughs> so many marketing people. Yeah. And then making sure that they, you know, have sponsored testing programs mm -hmm. that if a physician wants to order genetic testing, they mm -hmm. think it makes sense, then we can support them in having the information to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like we're doing educational events that are part of a, think of it as like a detailed marketing campaign. Yeah. So people can do it with a certain number of records in a certain area and get a certain amount of, you know, what we're considering at-risk identified patients. I see. On our other side, we're looking for people who are pharmaceutical, looking for pharmaceuticals again, but in this case, we're looking people who are at risk, but Googling on their own. So think of this as the consumer facing thing. We call it symptom matcher. Basically, all of these companies have these launch, pro launch educational initiatives. And when you're looking for something that could be causing your genetic problems or your symptoms of medical problems, you want a way that you could like systematically and easily use human language in order to figure out if you could have a genetic disease. And mm. then you want something you can take to your doctor to start the conversation. Could this be genetic? Mm. So long story short, pharmaceutical companies, again, are paying for what is basically an API or a patient-facing, consumer-facing product that then tells them if they're at risk based on the symptoms that they give to us. Not that their doctors are telling us, but what they're telling us. And then we lead through them like a friendly little chat. You have this, do you have that? You've got this, do you have that? And gives them a category of are they at risk or are they not at risk? And then gives them information to take to their doctor. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking to genetic counselor Don Laney and Mark Landry, who founded Healthy Heart Clinic and CardioCare. So, Mark, I mean, the CardioCare model then, I mean, is it um, subscription-based? I mean, it kind of sounds like it would lend itself to that sort of thing. I and mean, you, you mentioned that it, it's something that you get to through your physician, so it's a prescription. Like, are you guys working primarily through through insurance? I mean, talk to me yeah, about how that so works. Medicare covers chronic care disease management. Okay. They cover remote patient monitoring, yeah. and they cover what's called principal care management. Uh, that's where a specialist, a cardiologist or an endocrinologist is managing their patients or wanting to help their patients outside of their clinics to be managed and it's done through whether it's devices or a call center like ours. Mm -hmm. We have a care hub where we have clinical staff that are communicating with that patient on a monthly basis, sometimes as much as 20 minutes or more. Yeah. Um, and then we're collecting the data and we're leveraging the data to make sure that we're keeping the patient at their optimal health. Yeah. And then we're reporting that back to the provider for them to submit the billing to either insurance, Medicare, or in some other cases might be some other cash fee type services. Yeah. But for the most part, it's insurance based. Yeah. So I, I feel like I have to ask this question because we've, we've both of you have kind of talked about instances where we're dealing with data, machine learning. You know, I feel like I can't look on the news and not read about chat GPT, right? Like, there, I mean, are we moving away from even you know, needing providers to do this work on sort of the more routine basis. It's one thing to write, have a physician visit with you, but I mean, some of what you're describing, right? A person's going to come and, and do a chat bot and figure out kind of where the chat GPT is basically a very advanced chat bot, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it seems like for some of the kind of mechanized aspects of what cardio care does, I mean, is there a point where, you know, maybe we don't need a human workforce there? Well, you know, I love Louisiana for this very reason. 
Here in Louisiana, we have the best word. We call it ta-ta. <laughs> Put your arm around that patient and ta-ta that patient. Yeah, sure. There's still an element of touch. Yeah. There's still that element of belonging and feeling uh, that somebody cares for me. So, yeah, it's a little bit of both technology, but you can't remember it. You can't forget that putting your arm around that patient and letting yeah. them know you've got them, that they're going to be okay or that we're going to keep them at their optimal health, that's important too. Yeah. So uh, we leverage technology in order to uh, keep the advance or at least the amount of information up front to make better decisions about the well care of that patient. Sure. But, yeah, it's both a human element as well as it is the technology. Do, do you feel like we're moving toward it? Chat GP Tata, what's what's happening there? No, I don't think no. Chat Chat GT can't do it. I they cannot Tata. Yeah. But also, you know, we talk about all this machine learning. We talk about everything else. If you get deep in, which I so fortunately have been able to, yeah, you sure. learn that you have to have the human element before you move forward. So he can look at all of the tracings of all the EKGs, but there needs to be a human to fact check it. Like yeah. you can you can have it interpreted. You can have all of the AI taking a look and finding patterns. And you need someone to say, well, that's a pattern, but this is a normal variant. And it looks like they were sleeping every time they took this particular reading. So that's what we need to think about. Or when you look at what we're doing, which is, okay, we went through this giant set of medical records and we found these people are at risk. A human genetic counselor, uh, I got my friend genetic counselor right here behind me. Uh, <laughs> she and I take a look at all that data and we go, but does this make sense? Yeah. Oh, it looks like this individual has cancer. Like, we found a pattern, we found somebody at risk, but they have cancer. It feels so it's why we're changing it. It kind of feels like it's it goes both ways though, right? I mean, there's an extent to which, you know, the machine learning is catching signals that a human might overlook, but you're saying there are cases where the human has to catch sort of the bigger picture that perhaps the machine overlooked. I think the machine lets us take an objective look, which is so critical when we're talking about health disparities mm -hmm. and we talk about diversity and inequities. There may be people who have more data because they don't they go to the doctor more, but there's mm -hmm. people out there who get less data because they don't go to the doctor as much. Mm -hmm. And I feel like AI takes out that human bias that we can have when we're looking at medical data. And I think that's one of the important things that we're looking at with objective patterns and objective data. Mm -hmm. But then on the human side, we need to just catch things that AI tends to highlight because they see a pattern, but it's not a reasonable pattern. Sure. It's like when they were doing those studies that always showed that if you ate too many hot dogs, you would end up with colon cancer. You're like, but is that really what's happening? Or are these people who can only afford to eat hot dogs and there's other factors at work? Oh, fair so enough. it turns out maybe it was a little bit more of the fact that they had asbestos in their walls or huh. something like that. Yeah, you know? hey, Mark, I mean, so you've, you've talked a good bit about you know, a big angle for you is preventative medicine, right? Um, so are, are people primarily coming to cardio care because they're ill or do you guys work with people on a wellness basis? Like is somebody going to sign up yeah. because, hey, I feel good and I want to stay that way? Absolutely. So you're hitting on a great point too. Preventive includes wellness and nutrition and knowing what's the right thing for your body, knowing what you should and shouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. You know, on the, on the example of when I was first diagnosed with hypertension or high blood pressure, for me, walking through the grocery store, turning every can around, looking to see the sodium content, yeah. or to know what foods were being served up. Mm -hmm. um, that was a whole learning curve. Mm. For the wellness side, it might be just about optimizing their fitness in regards to either their endurance, um, for if they're a, a, a sprinter or, or a track star, or if they're a, a athlete, and they're wanting to have their muscles recover better. Well, that includes not only your wellness and being able to get your, your fitness kind of measurements, and also to get that little bit of extra uh, communication from a counseling perspective. 
to ensure that they're staying on track or that their muscles are healing a little bit faster to get their gains. And so it's a little bit of both. Okay. Preventive is about helping the person with their personalized nutrition and wellness, as well as it is for you know helping somebody that's trying to get better or stay better. Are we getting closer to the point where you, you can do this based on a person's own, I'm not a scientist, so I'm gonna say this wrong, like, you know, genomic makeup, their body chemistry to the point where like you could take, say, you know, the genetic view of what Don does and say, well, you know, besides these other signals that are brought in by these devices, right, your heart rate, your blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we know certain things about the composition of your body that suggest that you could, I hate this word, optimize it this way i mean is, is that kind of where we're moving or am i being like too uh, no. sci-fi here or no we're sure trying and i think that we just have a couple leaps that we need to go to really connect it there are certain things that we know now there's certain changes in your genes that we know increase the risk for certain things like alzheimer's or cardiovascular disease that aren't inherited patterns that show up in a specific pattern we call them mendelian you don't have to remember that that ones that pass down in families in very specific patterns there's also ones that cluster in families but it's not just one gene it's like environment so what he's working on plus a little genetic predisposition but then there's things like familial hypercholesterol anemia where you know they're going to have high cholesterol and then you've got to decide how are we going to monitor it how are we going to do all the things that mark was just talking about to optimize their health from the very beginning and not waiting until they actually have high cholesterol and have coronary artery disease yeah. And something I want to love to add to that, you know, um, my parents, as you mentioned earlier in the show, um, both passed in the same weekend. And my dad happened to be on about 20 different medications and only needs to be on nine of those. And it's part of the problem. It's, it's the communication. It's understanding kind of what his needs are. And where a genetic test could actually determine what would have been the right meds or the right dose at the right times to maybe at least take for his body, um, it could have made a difference. So... Uh, pharmacogenetics is extremely important and I think uh, more people should kind of really take a serious look at it and for us we we endorse it we want to be able to at least set that stage from the initial assessment of a patient to actually defining how to help them mm. and then once we have that definition we create that care plan and then we're just there as their coach to continue to help them to obtain their better lifestyle or uh, to follow some regimen that's based upon their genetic uh, makeup. I'll give one a good example um, that I've personally experienced with um, my business partner where he has a somebody that has migraines um, and he's a fast metabolizer. Well, you know, taking sometimes his meds with caffeine helped him because he's metabolizing so fast. When he takes it with water, it tends to prolong the whole thing. And the opposite would be true for a slow metabolizer taking with some type of caffeine actually is maybe you might excrete it a little bit faster than what you would if you took it with water. So you're learning things like that as it comes to genetic testing and precision medicine that can make an impact for a patient mm -hmm. and to help those patients. You said earlier that, that you felt like, you know, you were hoping that more people would adopt pharmacogenetic practices. Well, what's holding us back? It seems like on balance, most people would hear this and say like, yeah, sign me up. 
we don't know enough yet. Okay. We're, we're trying real hard, and we're trying to validate for certain things, right? So we're moving right along and doing better with psychiatric medications. But it's not perfect. There's other things about the metabolism we don't understand. But one of the things we do understand is if you're on 20 different medications, not all of them are going to work for you, and some of them work in counter. So if you, you know, when we do our algorithms, we actually look for certain medications which are prescribed that aren't helping the patient, but are a flag that maybe they've got a certain condition. Um, so we're looking for misdiagnosis by looking at the medications. But then on the other side, once we hand them off, then it's like, should we be on dilantin and gabapentin at the same time? No, we should not because those are mechanisms go in opposition. So just having a good pharmacist on your team sometimes does all the work. But if you think about medical records, they try to put that knowledge into the medical record and show alerts to physicians when they see something like that, mm -hmm. but it's not deep enough. And that's where I think that, you know, it gives us good clues when we're trying to find somebody who's got a genetic disease, but at the same time needs somebody like Mark's company to kind of sort it out mm -hmm. or a really good primary care who's got the knowledge and the, the pharmacist on speed dial. Mark, sure. Yeah, no question. You know, um, I've always said uh, primary care is that first go-to. That is your, that should be the, the doctor that you go to on a regular basis, at least from an annual perspective. And then to get to determine your care for that year, that primary care physician can really make a difference for you. Now, I used the example in, in the past of, you know, you're taught kind of growing up to go to the dentist and to do your annual checkup. Well, the same is true for your health and probably even more so for your health. You go for your annual uh, wellness visit or you go for your physical or you go for uh, taking your uh, different tests and you learn exactly what's going on or what you might need to do. So step one is visit your primary care visit uh, provider. And then step two is let's determine how's the best way to stay at the optimized health for that year. Mm -hmm. Or what should I do? There's the predictive diagnosing capabilities that are coming out with the genetic type testing are just gonna continue to help it. So get with somebody or get with your doctor and let them be your support and guide. And then have a care program that helps to watch you at home. Don, is, is there a genetic equivalent of the annual checkup? Uh, no, there is not. In fact, it can be really hard to see a medical geneticist. And so one of the things that we've been doing is trying to support physicians who are different specialties so that they have the knowledge and feel comfortable enough to order some genetic tests mm -hmm. and interpret them. It's not the ordering that's the problem. It's that when you get the results back, what do you do with it? And then the other thing that we have that's been really great is we have a network of genetic counselors here in the area. They're mostly related with Oshner, um, and they are ready to talk to anybody who wants prevent, like any physician who want to talk to them about ordering the testing and on the other side any patients need to be seen through telemedicine or another method and I think that's part of the the full system you have to think about you can't just flag somebody and be like hands off see you later you have to you have to educate too and be like okay we found this thing here are the clues that told us based on symptoms that we're worried about it here's how you can order testing on your own or if you don't want to do that here's how in the system you can click a button and get them referred to genetics so they can be seen right away hmm. um, because there are so many knowledge and so many new things we've learned about genetics. It means the wait lists are really pretty ugly, and there's not so many medical geneticists in the world. So there's a lot of, um, almost yeah, there are chatbots um, who help with some basic genetic knowledge. Yeah. There are also companies that have formed up that do virtual medicine. So they're based in California, but they have licensure all over the place, so they can help people wherever they are. Yeah. And that's been actually a big change that COVID helped, as yeah. well as some other things. Well, you know, I think the saying that they would probably convert it today is an Apple Watch a day, keeps <laughs> the doctor away. But it sounds like we should really be spending more time uh, taking care of our health and making sure we spend time with our 
personal care uh, providers. So, Don, Mark, thank you guys both for hanging out with me on Out to Lunch thank Acadiana. You. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank yeah, you. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been Mark Landry of Healthy Heart and Cardio Care and Don Laney of Think Genetic. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRVS, and you can hear our unedited conversation to find out more about Mark and Don by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe on your podcast app and on our website, it's acadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Gianna Morgan. You can find more of her photos on Instagram at Gianna Morgan Photography. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS. 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Chad Terrio. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. Today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Christian Mater. I'm editor of the current Lafayette's nonprofit newsroom. If you want to get the scoop on Lafayette, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our free newsletter. We'll see you next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Goodbye. Out to Lunch Acadiana was recorded live over lunch at Tsunami Sushi on Jefferson Street in downtown Lafayette. Tsunami is open Tuesday through Saturday for lunch and dinner, serving sushi, sashimi, salads, and authentic Japanese grilled dishes. Tsunami welcomes casual dining or reservations. More information at servingsushi.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.